Alright, here we go again. Hello, one and all. Um, we're back with Powering Bitcoin after a longer break um, due to reasons I can get into uh, in a minute. Today, we have um, the honor of being joined by Mr. Mark Morton from Skilling Mining. Hello, Mark. Hello, Jesse. Nice to meet you again, huh? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, Skilling Mining, um, some of some of the listeners would have seen the recent content you guys produce with Cointelegraph, right? You guys mine mm -hmm. an island with biomass, which is obviously a really cool application um, considering all the different use cases that we have through Bitcoin mining. We're going to talk about that a bit more in detail today. Um, before we get there, though, Mark, can you give me the current block height, please? Uh, 785.931. All right. So, yeah, if... if you listen to the last episode, there will be uh, a couple of blocks in between the, the two episodes. Um, the last difficulty change is at plus 2.23. Hash rate keeps exploding. Price as well a little bit, which keeps the hash price in check at nearly $80 per petahash per day. Um, the current hash rate is at 352.27, no, excuse me, 352.72 exahash per second. So... Yeah, from like, I think in November we were at 290 or even below that. Mm. So hash rate keeps exploding yeah. up, which is in, relentless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark, most people um, might not yet know what skilling mining does exactly um, and your person. Um, so give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and the company, please. Yeah, so, so my own background is in financial mathematics and, and actuarial sciences. That's what I graduated in from university here in, in Cork City in Ireland in 2021. But I kind of started as an individual focusing quite heavily on crypto as an overall idea um, in 2019, mainly because there was individuals that were in that course that had done quite well in it in 2017. So obviously as someone who is 1920 just hearing about someone who'd done very very well when we were all 18 and leaving secondary school here in ireland just piqued my interest um on a very very simple basis and so when i asked them you know what what was what was all of 2017 about what is this crypto thing what is bitcoin i was literally starting from scratch the kind of only thing that really stuck with me given that they provide you kind of with a bombardment of info is what it is what it might do where it's going and so on was that they kept talking about cycles um, and how this had happened in you know 2009 it had started and 13 you had 17 and there was just kind of an inkling in their mind that this might reoccur in 2021 which is overall as an asset class it might do quite well um, and that's all i needed really to kind of pique my interest and start going down the overall rabbit hole in, in 2019 so i spent given the background i was in i spent a lot a lot of time on stuff everything that wasn't bitcoin essentially so i spent at least you know 18 months to two years focusing on all these things that I thought were going to change the world, all the shiny new things and spent nothing on Bitcoin because I was told by everyone around me that that was the old boring one and it was going to be overtaken and it didn't have all the optionalities and so on. So that kind of consumed a lot of my time for, for quite a while. Um, but ultimately, I just kind of started asking myself after 18 months of two years, heavily focused on everything that wasn't Bitcoin, why have I been neglecting the one that has had the staying power throughout the entirety of this of this asset class since its inception? And what I very quickly realized is that 
all of these new and shinier things that apparently had more optionalities were coming and going. So something that I got into in 2019 had basically crashed and burned by 2021 or it had done absolutely nothing. So all the roadmaps, all the goals, all the plans, the sponsorships really had materialized into nothing of actual kind of integrity and value. So after spending a lot of time, you know, moving back towards Bitcoin, what I started realizing is that the more time I spent on Bitcoin, the less time I wanted to spend on, on anything else. So that was a a very kind of simple and slow transition that I made. But once it had happened, there was kind of no real going back from my end. And this very closely aligned with meeting another individual, um, Stuart Hosford, who who was basically trying to start a Bitcoin Irish business. You know, so that's a, a very generalistic term, obviously, as well in and itself. So he reached out to me in January 2021 um, through a friend with this very, very simple idea, which is, look, I've been doing this whole Bitcoin thing since 2017. And while I really enjoy it, while I like buying the asset, while I find it highly interesting, I would kind of like some more exposure. I would like to be actually involved in the industry itself and be contributing in a way that that's meaningful so how do we actually go about that um, and so we looked at a lot of different things you know we looked at going down the you know financial services route you know maybe being a custodian do we go through you know doing a fund do we help out people through consulting you know what's what's the path for us essentially is is kind of a journey that everybody has to go on um, and one thing that we were doing is asking ourselves, you know, how can we accumulate as much Bitcoin as we possibly can as the underlying goal of the business that we create? And, and so we looked at a lot of things, which is, look, if we do consulting, can we take the fees in Bitcoin and, and try, you know, get as many consulting partners as we can and get them all to pay in Bitcoin? But then we were thinking, look, you know, is that really the best thing for us to do? And while doing this, we were spending a lot of time on, on Glassnode. And what we started realizing is that the biggest wallets that we could see were a lot of the publicly listed miners. And so that was kind of a little you know, light bulb in our head, which was, if these guys seem to have the biggest publicly available wallets that we can see, then why don't we just try and become a miner? Why don't we just try and be like them in, in, in its simplest essence like that? But that was the kind of key next step then, which is we said, look, let's just let's just be miners you know a very kind of pivot big pivot but and again a very generalistic idea which is let's just be miners is is a very easy phrase to throw out there but how you're actually going to go about it you know is a, is a very very different story and so what spawned from that is essentially having to get a, a self-taught degree in in the irish renewable industry and starting asking ourselves well look we tried first to say, run the numbers on, let's just plug into the grid here. You know, let's just buy a container from somebody else. Let's just ship it over here and, and get plugged in and just start mining. You know, it's, it's almost this rush to get involved when you see how quickly the industry is moving. You know, I was listening to Marty Bent and so many other guys in, in early 2021 thinking, you know, we're so far behind. You know, how can we catch up with all these guys that have been doing this for so long? And so it would have been very easy in that time, given that on grid rates in Ireland were 10 cents and mining revenue was... 25 cent plus to say oh look if we just plug into the grid here we'll double our money but fast forward 12 months and it's completely flipped the opposite way here in ireland but we were lucky in that we made a decision which was we felt that in summer of, of 2021 that we just need to sit back here and, and decide that we've essentially missed this run otherwise we're just going to spend the next few months chasing it and what's ultimately going to happen is we're going to over leverage ourselves we're going to rush processes we're not going to be methodical about it um, and so instead of deciding to import containers and, and just get plugged in, we said, look, let's just go back to the drawing board. Let's design our own containers. Let's assume we missed this, this bull run entirely and not have that added pressure of, you know, ASICs at that time were 10, 11, $12,000, you know, an S19. And so we just said, look, at this stage, 
what we're going to end up doing is over leveraging ourselves and rushing into this market and ultimately being well what we didn't know is that if we had done that we'd, we'd have been gone this time last year essentially you know we'd have had to pack up and and, and stop doing what we're doing so We've designed our own containers. We completely decided at that stage to just focus on, on finding the right partner and trying to be a bit more strategic about what we're doing and not essentially chase the, the last bull run. And throughout that process, we we met an individual um, who was looking to monetize excess energy. At this stage, you know, we had all designs, all the designs for the containers, um, and we were able to get, you know, cut fast forward another kind of nine, ten months, we were able to get Ireland's first and, and only, well, the island of Ireland's first and only Bitcoin mining setup going. So that's kind of a, a crash course in, in myself and, and, and in skilling, but that inevitably led to having some mining on the island of Ireland at least. Nice, Mark, brilliant. Um, yeah, comment, I mean, it's funny, I've, I've gone, gone through, you know, similar steps regarding all the, all the cryptos. Um, and what you realize is that most while there are cycles, right? Most of them only have one of them measured in Bitcoin terms and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. They never reach yeah. that peak again. Um, and Bitcoin mm -hmm. cycle looks entirely different, at least measured in fiat. Um, all right, so can I ask, where did you get your energy expertise from? Is it all self-taught or did you, did you onboard somebody that has that expertise? No, so it was all self-taught. So as I said, kind of in, in 2021, when we made that decision to let, let's just slow everything down, let's just say, you know, assume that this is going to be a long-term project. There's no rushing. We just decided at that stage to, yes, go away and design our containers, but also go away and basically get a self-taught degree in renewables. So I was reading, you know, dispatch down reports, which are basically the reports that Ireland produces year on year to show, you know, how much energy was onboarded, how much of that energy was then wasted. So we have, mm. you know, quite high constraint and curtailment here in Ireland. And, and, and if anything, while we ended up using using biomass, it was all of these, you know, constraint and curtailment figures that Ireland has that actually, you know, made us feel like there was a market for mining in Ireland. You know, that's what started our journey, which is looking at all the hundreds of thousands of megawatts that are wasted in Ireland every year. Because our grid is incapable of taking it, um, which kind of led us to say, look, instead of just upping and leaving and assuming that we'd go to the US or go somewhere else whereby we might be able to get a PPA that would allow us to get mining quicker, we kind of said to ourselves, look, we're all from Cork, we're all from Ireland, look, let's just spend a bit more time on this because if we can figure out a way to come up with a, a mining market for Ireland, it'll be all the more meaningful, while more difficult, all the more meaningful in the long term, essentially. Yeah. Does that include electrical engineering as well? Because you need in terms of the yeah, so from the electrical engineering side, we were actually we were very lucky. We we partnered with a firm based in Limerick called Weld and Electrical, um, and they were the guys that essentially helped helped us to get up to speed on the okay. on the electrical side of it all. Um, well, that being said, I as I said earlier, I, I'd kind of relentlessly been listening to Marty Ben for for nine or ten months and learning about containers and learning how everything works. So I had a very very good idea, but. When it comes to electricity, you know, as you probably know from speaking with a lot of people, is having a very, very good idea is very, very different between you know from actually being able to implement something you know at scale. Um, and what we essentially did was with them, we realized that in order to be able to bring people in and explain how mining works, we needed a physical example of, of mining and machines. So what we did in the office here um, in 2021 is we is it 2021. 2021 it was actually so we set up a display room um upstairs here in our office whereby we essentially gutted a room that was upstairs that was meant to be kind of a small office space and we brought in our, our partner as well that we basically created this a display mine 
So we put 10 isolator switches on the wall. We built a rack. We built a comms box. And then we brought in, we bought five um, S19s, S19J Pros. And we basically set up a, a five machine display room so that they got experience, you know, hooking up machines. We got experience setting them all up, getting them running, getting them hashing, and fixing anything that went wrong over the, the following nine or 10 months. Um, but critically, what we had then is, Yes, we were able to bring people in and put the PowerPoint up on the wall and say, you know, this is Bitcoin, this is mining, this is what our containers might look like if you get one off us and we're able to build it and get our first one up and running. But if you want an actual feel for it, you know, there's five S19s that are basically, you know, screaming away upstairs and people were able to stand in front of them and put their hands on them and see how loud they were and, and then really start to visualize it. So that was very helpful both from an electrical experience standpoint, but it was really the critical difference in bringing guys in from Ireland and all the other different energy sectors and actually seeing S19s running and getting a, a real physical feel for how it looks and works. Because there's only so much you can kind of hypothesize about it before actually being able to say to people, you know, this is actually what yours might look like if you were to, to get one up and running. There's a lot to learn from looking at these uh, machines physically. There's a company in southern Germany, SME, that have the same approach. They, you know, they need heat, they turn electricity into heat in their processes, they manufacture all sorts of things. And so now they're integrating Bitcoin mining as a diversificator, also having solar on the roof, you know, having an alternative mm -hmm. heat source for the office uh, buildings in case gas yeah. gets kind of expensive. That can happen yeah. actually, as we now know. Yeah. And so now they, they're using hydro-cooled miners within their facilities to to offload the heat into their processes, you know, that they then need mm -hmm. to create yeah. less off of. And so there's so yeah. many yeah. cool installations possible with this. And I think also that in the future, I don't know if you agree or not, these are the kind of applications that will that will beat out the bigger bigger guys on a on a on a um lower scale basis or on a specific basis per per terahash or whatever, cost per terahash. Because now the low-hanging fruits of building these ginormous mines where electricity is cheap and plugging them into the wall, right? Those are low-hanging fruits. But if you look out, things that you do, um, innovative approaches where you reuse heat and stuff like that, driving down the cost per terahash, I think that that in the long term will will be the way to go, um, especially if we see hash price decreasing as it has been over the last last few months, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's the nature of, of the industry that we're in is it's going to be about, you know, squeezing out every inkling of, of kind of different, you know, financial benefit that you can in order to make your economic stack up as best as you possibly can. So I think that's generally what you're going to go, what you're seeing, because ultimately, to an extent, this is a, a zero sum game. You know, you have to work as hard as you possibly can. At the moment, it's OK. You can, As you said, you can in some instances, you can plug into the grid, you can run as a data center. But You know, there's already data centers in Dublin here that are, are giving some of their heat to district heating systems around them. So you have Amazon in, in Dublin, outer Dublin area, providing their heat to a nearby housing estate, a library and something else. You know, there's going to be realistically from a mining perspective, we're going to have to follow suit, which is this is going to become an increasingly more difficult, you know, some somewhat yeah. of a pun. But it's going to get more and more difficult to do um, and to be, you know, financially Um, strong in this industry so what you're going to have to do is ask yourself look how can i squeeze out more and more benefit from from what we're already doing in order to make it stack up that bit better and i think all of those different use cases as you said are not going to be just important for the for the small guy they're going to be important for the big guy as well yeah and on that note stranded energy you mentioned it before 
is the cheapest form of energy because you know the alternative revenue for the producer is exactly zero so tell me a bit more about the project that you have running right now that the coin telegraph piece was also on maybe also go into yeah. who works for the company right now and how many people are they and what sort of did everybody do to make this happen yeah so there's a few kind of different elements to the company in itself which is i as an individual focus on a lot of the day-to-day the -day running of, of skilling we also obviously have, have Stuart, who is the kind of initial push on, on getting the business up and running. We recently brought on an, another individual, Hugh, who's been helping us for the past three or four months in, in reaching out to as many individuals as we possibly can in Ireland, because not only from a, a business perspective, does it matter to us to, to kind of keep normalizing this idea, but from our perspective, you know, education is going to be a really, really important part of that. So, you know, there's only so many people that I can reach out to and talk to, um, especially being down here in Cork. A lot of the conferences are in Dublin, um, where the new individual that we brought on, Hugh, is based. So he's been going to a lot of, you know, sustainability conferences, energy conferences, talking to as many guys as we possibly can to just try and normalize mining amongst some of the, the top, top energy guys in Ireland. Because ultimately, Ireland wants to transition to, you know, well, They hopefully want to transition to a net exporter of energy in time um, based on the amount of offshore wind that we could possibly have in the in the next decade. So we think that mining is probably going to play an integral part of, of that overall build out. So that's where, where Hugh has been coming in and been very helpful in communications and, and meeting with all these different stakeholders to suggest the idea at least and get the ball rolling as a kind of long term project or long term perspective for us. Um, with regards then to the actual install, so as I said, we we had the display room that was set up by by Weld and Electrical, our partners based in, in Limerick, which is kind of a, an hour and a half outside Cork. They then helped as well with the actual install of the container in Armagh. And we have another partner based in Cork that are actually a Dutch company that initially specialized or still do specialize in air handling units. So they would do a lot of air handling units for Pfizer and Tesco and a num number of other very big, you know, European businesses. But we basically reached out to them and said, look, I have I have a basic I have an idea. I have the drawing done up. I know how I want it to look. Are you able to do something like this? And they said, yeah, look, this is essentially what we do in a different way. So we'll leave the inside empty, but we can do the shell. We can do the fans. We can do the airflow management. You know, that's exactly what we've been doing for, for you know, decades. So we can fit in there. And basically, we brought the kind of three three entities together which is skilling had the kind of mining expertise the experience the know-how of how to put a container together we had weldon who was able to do the electrical side and then we had mark era who you know as i said have you know decades of experience in in airflow and, and and heat management essentially so it all came together quite nicely um in order for us to come up with a containerized solution that we were happy with um, and that critically for us we could stand over and say that you know this is an Irish standard of electrical um, engineering and manufacturing. You know, that was kind of a really critical thing for us, which was when we talked to some big stakeholders, there was a few different caveats to if they were to inevitably take a container in time when they kind of better understood this and saw that we had a proof of concept going, that we had, you know, certain types of switch gear, certain types of electrical certification. And so, again, going back to why we decided to make our own, it was, yes, we wanted to have our own product, but... We also wanted to be able to stand over all the kind of Irish standard certifications and electrical engineering, you know, qualifications that were needed um, so that if in time we were on a kind of very hot, you know, institutional scale of mining across Ireland and the UK or Europe, um, we could then stand over that. Yeah, it's Bitcoin mining made in Ireland, eh? Um, it's an important yeah, yeah, communicator yeah. as well. 
yeah, marketing-wise. So, so go into more detail, Mark, um, about where you found this person that had stranded energy to to sell. Um, how mm -hmm. how did you get to know that person? Yeah, so it's it's one of those kind of funny situations, which is I was kind of trying relentlessly to to reach out to people to say to them, look, we have this idea, we'd we'd love to implement it, but. The way things kind of always go unexpectedly is the person that we actually ended up having the site running with was someone that reached out to me completely out of the blue in probably September or October um, of 2021. And that was Tom Tom Campbell, who ended up being in the documentary with Cointelegraph, you know, a year and a half or so later, or if anything, just exactly 12 months later from him initially reaching out by email versus, you know, to, to Joe all walking around his farm um, with Jackson and so on with a load of cameras. But He reached out and just said to me, look, I have this energy on site that I've been thinking of, of trying to find a use case for, but nothing has really kind of caught my eye. Nothing has really been compact enough. I want something that you know I can kind of be in control of. I want something that's that's quite independent. Um, and I want something that's going to just sit there and blend it you know, to an extent. And I, I said to him, look, we have an idea. We have a, a project. We have all the blueprints. We can show you the display room upstairs. And that's actually exactly what happened. So... Tom traveled all the way down from Armagh to call into our office. We had the, the five S19s running upstairs and we spent kind of three, four hours chatting with him about everything. So that, that was a really kind of critical thing that, that we focused on, which is we didn't just want to sell someone a container or, you know, say to them, look, we'll take your energy and we'll put in our own container. We actually wanted to go to the effort of putting a PowerPoint on the wall and doing, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin mining? You know, You obviously understand the energy side, but what is containerized mining? How does it apply to you? So that instead of just saying, we'll sell you a box that has a load of smaller boxes inside it, and it doesn't really matter what it is, we wanted the individual to actually understand the Bitcoin side of it as well and really you know, grasp why we're doing what we're doing and what the overall kind of ethos is behind You know, skilling itself and why we care about Bitcoin. You know, there was a lot more to it, which is instead of it being a quick half hour and a, a booklet of this is our container, we kind of went to the effort of going for a couple of hours and explaining everything. And and after the visit in November, there was you know a lot of chatting back and forth um, between ourselves and Tom. And then eventually, kind of around March of of 2022, he said, "Look, I actually really really get it. I've looked at a, a couple of other options. I'm not actually too sure what they were." Um, but he said, look, I, this actually stacks up for me. It makes sense. I have 120 kilowatts. I want to do something with it. So how are we going to go about doing this? You know, how, does it actually, how is it actually going to work? You know, I've seen how the container might look eventually. But, you know, there's a, as I said earlier, there's a very different kind of, you know, stage of going from hypothesizing and, and kind of estimating what it'll be like versus actually installing it. And from March of 2022, that was kind of when the green light was given And off we went uh, to get Tom's site up and running. And by the first week of June, then we were live and, and hashing completely. So overall, it, it went quite well. But it was kind of a long process from the initial kind of email to the chat in November to then saying, look, are we actually going to do this? And, and the green light then was given and then off we went. So I think that's where your education piece then came in very handy, hey? because it sounds like he wasn't really, you know, a Bitcoiner per se before that and just made you guys made that happen in between you guys sort of him reaching out and then meeting sitting down talking explaining yeah well i suppose there's actually there's a there's a video on on joe hall's twitter chatting to tom's son owen and, and owen standing in front of the the container on the farm explaining it all to joe and what it does you know why it's important and i think joe does ask him you know about you know tom's you know 
background in Bitcoin and so on. And Owen basically said, look, in November, he, was, he knew about Bitcoin, but he didn't really know what it was. And now he has a, a mine sitting on his farm mining yeah. Bitcoin for him. So yeah. it was kind of a, a very quick, you know, processing quotes. But at the same time, it, as, as you said, it was it was worth the effort that we put into oh, yeah. actually explaining it. You know, it was all the more meaningful in the end because I think ultimately there never would have been, you know, Joe's visit. There never would have been the documentary if it wasn't for the fact that, that Tom had actually embraced the overall idea and had gone to the effort of, of fully understanding it from, from his point as well. And now look, you have a documentary you can show people. You have got a container online where you can send other farmers and say, hey, visit this this peer of yours. You know, he's probably got a similar operation yeah. to you. See what he did. And you can have the showroom mm -hmm. as well. So that's that's actually brilliant. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the more technical side of things. I know um, that there's also feeding into the electricity grid, right? What do you yeah. get per kilowatt hour feeding in? So in Ireland at the moment, prices are, are sky high. There's two figures that I have in my head. So in, in Northern Ireland at the moment, if you have a digester, you could probably be getting, if you can, if you can export to the grid, you'd probably be getting about 24 cent, 24 pence per kilowatt, just, just for exporting onto the grid. That's the current state of affairs in Ireland. I also know as well that we were just uh, from experience over the past number of weeks, I've heard some people in Ireland that if you have rooftop solar, say on your business, you're probably getting 21 cent per kilowatt for exporting your excess rooftop What? solar onto the, onto the grid. That's here in Ireland. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a figure that I was given recently. Now I've, I've, I've kind of gone around to check that, but that generally seems to be kind of some, okay. some of the figures that I'm seeing. Yeah. All right. Be that as it may, even if it's not the exact precise figure, it's, most certainly more than you can get per kilowatt hour expended in a Bitcoin mine, right? So so how exactly. does your Bitcoin yeah. mine compete with that? Yeah, so essentially what the kind of key focus then for us is, and it goes back to the initial decision making at the start, which is we realized quite quickly that we need to focus on electricity that essentially has no other buyer. So it needs to be stranded. Otherwise, as, as, you, as you said, the, the grid is going to outcompete it. And I think that's kind of the, the key thing for us moving forward, at least for the foreseeable. And it's something that, that we explained you know, in depth to Tom, um, which is if you have your 120 kilowatts, it, it needs to be stranded. You know, If it has another buyer, you're going to want to prefer to put it on the grid. You know, even back then, when the whole process started for us, as I said, you know, on-grid rates then were probably you know, as cheap as 8 to 13 cents per, per kilowatt. You know, things weren't extortionately expensive but at the same time we just wanted to hedge our bets just in the off chance that if things were to were to swap places which which they did a lot more severely than than i'd say anyone really thought which is in, in ireland you know there was probably some electricity bills that came in for people at 40 cents plus per, per kilowatt you know during during the worst of it and that's why a lot of these these energy producers are being offered so much it's because ireland at the moment is essentially crying out for for energy wherever they can get it and so if you have it and you actually have the ability to export it um, then you, then you're going to do so at the moment so that's why from our perspective we need to kind of separate stranded assets versus you know actually trying to compete with the grid at the moment because a lot of people do reach out to me with hydro plants you know with rooftop solar with digesters and at the moment kind of one hurdle that we have is a lot of them are saying look i'm you know, four or five months away from being reconnected, or I could, you know, start that process, should I mine instead? And, you know, from my perspective at the moment, I have to be honest with them and say, look, in some instances, if it's very easy to get reconnected, 
you're probably better off doing that. You know, that's that's you know a very kind of open conversation that I have with them, which is if the grid connection is is there on paper and you're ready to go, then it's going to probably be double what you're going to get from from mining at the moment, and your probably initial capex is going to be less. So the key thing is is focusing on you know remaining completely off grid so that you don't have that alternative buyer that's going to you know push you to to stop mining and export instead. Yeah, I mean that's all government sort of you know, intervention, um, government policy, how much do we pay these people? And that works, right? But there are instance, instances instances in the world where, you know, that's not available and that's where Bitcoin mining mm-hmm. might go, right? And then you have more build out of renewables theoretically driving down the price and so on and so forth. Okay, but if you, if you cannot compete with the grid price, what mm-hmm. is the uptime of the, of the mine really at the end yeah. of the day? Yeah, so if... Yeah, so if you're running off of biogas, the joy of running off of biogas essentially in a kind of off-grid or, or islanded model, as, as you might call it, is that your uptime is, is basically, you know, 98, 99%. You know, it's basically 100% bar, bar the maintenance that you have to do because the kind of joy of, of biogas, and it's the reason we kind of stumbled towards biogas as we learned as much as we could about wind and solar, is that if, this, if we wanted this first model to be as simple as possible for people to understand, Running an intermittent model that we can't guarantee will be on when people want to visit, you know, the, the switching on and off of machines, the, the degradation that might come from that. We basically said to ourselves, look, what, what, what else can we find in Ireland that isn't wind and solar? You know, we, we did know that in the back of our minds, we'll eventually get to a wind and solar model that we can implement in time. But what would be the simplest one for us to start with so that people understand it, they get to grips with it, and that if we need to bring people to it, we know that it'll be on. And so that's essentially you know, when I found biogas and started finding a load of articles about you know, small-scale biogas plants, you know, the larger ones in, in Northern Ireland, and started kind of realizing in my head, you know, this could be a match made in heaven for both the individual that has the plant, given that it has, it's, it's you know, a nice, consistent supply of energy. And for us, we're going to have the uptime that either we need or the person buying the mining equipment needs in order to have a strong payback um, for their initial initial setup. So to answer your question, the any about biogas, whether it's grid connected, whether it's stranded, will essentially have you know almost 100% uptime because once you feed the digester on a on a on a simple schedule, which is just having the way they kind of have it done, and I don't know if you could kind of tell this from from the video of Coin Telegraph, is that you'll essentially have your feed stocks ready to go, which is you'll have your grass silage. I think uh, Tom's has grass silage. He has stuff from a chicken farm nearby. And he has uh, waste from a dairy processing plant. But all of this will essentially be ready to go. And every yeah. single day, they'll feed it into a hopper. And the hopper will then just slowly but surely push that the, the feedstocks into the, into the tanks. And then at that stage, you have a consistent supply of gas all the time, essentially. So there's essentially more fuel on storage that can, that can be or then can be immediately used, right? So you have this fuel on storage. Oh, okay. You know, daily you produce more of it. <laughs> And then you can always yeah. feed that. Okay. So you said 120 kilowatts. Is all of that fed into the grid or only part of it? I didn't understand. No, so the overall, yeah. So the, all, all in all, there's about almost 500 going into the grid and we're taking an extra 120 then on top of that. So it's, it's, it's quite a big plant that, that we're dealing with here, which is this plant is actually exporting um, around 400 kilowatts and we're taking about 120 from that on top of okay. that. Okay, but my listeners might might facepalm me right now, but I, I have to ask. Mm-hmm. So you have you have a grid connected 500, 620 kilowatt um, 
plant, yeah. right? Yeah. Do the miners ever turn off? How much power are no. you putting into the grid? Like, what's the minimum um, power that the miners consume? Do you know what I'm trying to understand? Yeah, I do. Sorry. So to, to explain that better. So at the moment, the, the plant is fulfilling a kind of 500 kilowatt export um, that it has with the grid. So the maximum that it can export from that side is 500 kilowatts. We're taking uh -huh. a kind of an extra 120 off the top of that. So it's not, you know, it doesn't have an unlimited exportability. In Ireland, you have your you have a maximum import capacity, you have a maximum export capacity, okay, an really? MEC. Um, so the plant is, the plant can produce just from the kind of general, you know, infrastructure that's there, probably almost 700. But the key thing is that it can only ever export just under the 500 mark on a right, consistent that's basis. that's the magic. So anytime... Yeah. Yeah, anytime you exceed, and but this is the same for for all majority of plants across across Northern Ireland. You know, there's a lot of plants that we've spoken to since the documentary, or or even in the lead up to the documentary, that have said to us, "Look, I built a 500 kilowatt um, anaerobic digestion plant because that's what the economies of scale likes." You know, which is generally it's a lot better to just go bigger with digesters than smaller at the moment. You know, the technology is evolving. It's following the kind of same path as wind and solar, which is in time, the costs will come down. Uh, but at the moment, it makes sense to just go bigger. But in some instances, people have reached out to us saying, look, I had agreed a maximum export capacity of 250 kilowatts. I was meant to give 250 kilowatts to a nearby housing estate or a nearby factory by private wire or whatever it might be. Uh, but that hasn't materialized. And so now I'm left with a 500 kilowatt digester and I'm left with a 200 or a 280 or whatever the maximum ex export might be. You know, can, can you any, do anything for me? You know, can, can I take a containerized solution or do you want to come on and then call okay with us? Um, and that's essentially the model that we're focusing on now, as, as we said earlier, which is removing the competition with the grid by just reaching out and saying, do you have this specific set of circumstances whereby your export is this amount But your output is this amount, and where can we fit in between? And as, as you obviously know, the joy of mining is the kind of modular nature of it, which is if they have 250 spare, we'll put in a 250. If they have 120, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll essentially slot in the amount of mining capacity that matches the, yeah. the excess generation that they have. And so that's the yeah. kind of path that we're on at the moment with regards to biogas. Ramp it up and down like a volume knob. Perfect. Okay, so that, exactly, that was yeah. the missing missing piece. I don't know if you said that before, but I have to, to make that very clear, right? You, mm -hmm. From a grid infrastructure standpoint also, right? You cannot always yeah. just pump as much power as you can into the grid. At some point, the grid operator yeah. will also say, hey, you know, grid's instability, we cannot take more than this power, even though it might be needed at some other place. And so this is exactly yeah, where you yeah. now can come in and say, hey, why don't you add another extra 200 kilowatts if you can, if you have the fuel for it um, and we mine with the rest of it and you increase your revenue yeah. because your grid operator and might I, locally say, hey, you know, you can, you can only max uh, import X amount, right? And if that changes in the future, then what should happen happens is that Bitcoin mining sort of gets phased out, right? Because obviously yeah. we want electricity to be used by toasters and ovens and and consumers yeah. and production and industry, right? We'd only want Bitcoin mining to, to sort of take that excess, right? And it, if you have that mechanism where you can scale mining back, it 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 it's such a it's such a um enormous advantage that no other technology has right no other data center can deliver that because they have they have customers you know they can't just turn off yeah. you know they can't just scale down the the google data center by half because now there's more demand in in, in industry or, or retail right so it's yeah. brilliant and i, and I think 
and I, I think from my perspective, it's, it's that from starting with biogas, as I said, is that we've started to you know find a lot more different examples of this, which is exactly as, as you you know alluded to there is Ireland, the UK, Spain, Portugal, so many countries, believe it or not, as much as we seem like we're in an energy crisis or having severe grid capacity issues, you know, there's there's massive queues. I know you see Troy Cross talking all the time about the queues in Texas to onboard wind and solar. Those exact same queues exist in Ireland, the UK. I think the UK, there was an article recently in the UK which said that, you know, some people were being told it's 13 years until your grid connection is going to be ready for export. And you had some of the kind of solar oper- operators saying nobody can hold a solar project or the finance, you know, the funding's ready to go, the planning is ready to go, we know what we need to do, and you're telling us 13 years. You know, they're essentially saying, you can say 13 years all you want, but we're going to be gone five years before that. There's no way we're waiting 13 years. And so this, but this is, you know, existing on a, a number of different scales. And it's something that's quite interesting that's, as I said, spawned from the interest of the biogas side is, People are now reaching out to us with behind the meter wind turbines, so factories that have built their you know singular turbines to reduce their grid dependence. Um, and so, take an example of someone recently that said they built an eight fifty kilowatt turbine. They'd already derated it by half, so they essentially limited its its output to four hundred, and they were still experiencing excess. Um, and so, in this particular instance, we're going to try help them with it, but they have to install heaters um, outside to just blow hot air. Um, up into the sky to use up the the excess um, on the site because there was nothing they could do. They they reached out to a number of different people to to try and prove the the export um, to the grid, but the export was limited to well below the the, the four hundred, well below the, the I think it was almost one twenty or something like that. So the factory is using X amount. They only had a one twenty export, but they still had a four hundred turbine that was an eight fifty. And I think you're seeing a lot of people reach out to us now with this problem, basically saying to us, look, we've built rooftop solar, we've built a singular turbine to power our factory, um, but our export is only X amount. And we, we are forced into derating the turbine if we could put it back to what it was, even better. Um, but all, all of these different kind of people are looking for a solution. I think what, what, what you said there is, is so important, which is these are going to be solutions that are, are, if anything, are kind of irrelevant to mining as an overall idea. You know, in this instance, mining is just going to slot in as a potential solution. And, and you, you know yourself, Europe tried to, to ban mining, you know, 12 months ago. And what we're trying to do here as well is get as many different examples of mining up and running that isn't from a, a Bitcoiner or a, a Bitcoin miner perspective, which is we'll remove skilling from that whole process or that whole link and just say, look, this is a factory that traditionally did this. They built a turbine to reduce their, their grid dependence. And, and now, now, now they're mining to soak up the excess energy. And, and so overall here, Bitcoin isn't the, isn't the headline here. It's that mining has solved the solution. You know, how can you argue against that? How can you try to ban something that's offered a, a very meaningful solution to a very, very traditional process or a traditional business? And I think that's kind of where we'd like to get to is a lot of smaller mines maybe in Ireland dotted around the country in all these different examples. And then maybe in time as, as we start onboarding more, more energy and our electricity prices come down, you might see it become more more of an integral part of the grid like they have in, in Aircoft in Texas. So I think it's a model that's going to develop, um, but it might develop kind of more quickly than, than we think. Because I, I think, as you said earlier on, you know, Jesse, which is when you're looking at a lot of these people saying to me, oh, no, I, I, don't, want, I don't want mining because, you know, I'm going to be able to get 21 cent or 18 cent off the grid for the foreseeable. You know, you know, su- assuming that, it's going to be like that for the foreseeable. It could be quite a you know a slippery path to go on, which is 
if we start onboarding you know more more renewables here in Ireland if the on-grid price starts coming down overall the last thing the government is going to be offering is is 21 cents to a factory that has a very successful business and has a solar array you know you're going to start seeing these feed-in tariffs as we as we call them here in Ireland slowly drop and then very, they could very suddenly drop and then it's a case of your feed-in tariff might be three or four cents per kilowatt and you start asking yourself you know should I have bolted on mining perhaps as a potential secondary market for this or at least have some form of arbitrage on that pricing but that will all take time but I think mining will start have to, you know will start having to be looked at as a viable energy asset bolt on and I think that's that's where we want to get to is just just normalizing it so that it's not this completely taboo subject and people don't get apprehensive when they hear mm. putting a, hear about putting a small mining operation in because if anything it's just demand you know on these sites and that, that's as simple as it is it's calculating hashes before you turn it into heat and blow it and blowing it into the air what you just described happened in germany already where the where the feed-in um, remuneration got dropped severely already but one thing that interested me was does the 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 biogas um, plant that you are partnering with now do they get remunerated as well when the grid operator shuts them down and cuts them off do they get remunerated for the energy that they could have produced no so from our perspective they are always in a similar instance they're always fulfilling the the export capacity that they have so we're essentially separate from that so we're we're being the container is being provided with its own private wire connection um, so we're separate to to essentially any kind of form of, of, of shutdown and so on but the critical thing is that plant as I said earlier is is you know we're quite desperate for for electricity here in Ireland is that that plant produces the the maximum capacity it always can for that export limit and it's always it always stays on you know there's never really any situation whereby they're asked to, to power down because as I said earlier we're, we're kind of struggling so much for electricity here that Biogas is is consistent, it's always on, and it essentially provides baseload power to, to Northern Ireland, and it can do in the Republic here when we get more up and running. And so they'll be kind of the last guys you'll be, you'll be asking to, to shut down. Because another kind of key thing is it's not a very flexible you know, plant in terms of, of, it's not a very flexible process. You know, like people always say it about nuclear as well, which is this is almost more of a, a scientific process than it is, you know, switching on gas or switching off gas. You know, this is, you know, waste is where feedstocks have been fed in. The process of creating that gas is actually quite a quite an important one. It's quite a strategic one that all of these plant operators figure out for themselves over over a very long period. So that plant in Armagh has been running for eight years. It's actually quite a difficult thing to stop. You know, you don't really mm. want to stop feeding that plant because then you essentially have to try kickstart that anaerobic process again. And it's Okay, you have to keep the you have to keep the blades spinning inside the tanks or they, they kind of solidify you know there's a lot that goes on so generally you want to keep biogas plants ticking over as much as you possibly can yeah that's good info because I was going to um come back at you with with the fact that in Germany right we, we cut off solar we cut off wind regularly because there's too much power in the grid yeah. when the sun's shining right they all compete with each other and in that moment, If you are an operator of a solar power plant, you get remunerated anyway, even though you're not feeding in any electricity. And at the end, that's what the consumer has to has to 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 finance, right? So the, the normal electricity yeah. consumer has to finance that with 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 the electricity bill. And in that moment, yeah. obviously, it makes more sense to to mine instead of producing hot air or whatever. 
or just you know cutting off that that power plant um okay yeah so right so so my question regarding the average uptime of the of the mine i think your answer is 100 it's always going you must be swimming in stranded power um and I, that that sounds really really brilliant and all these use cases right they they what you what you mentioned with the turbines being too large having to sort of downscale them all of those are potential projects that make you sort of believe in bitcoin mining in europe even though regulation kind of looks bad right the potential is is huge um yeah so all right so we described the project that we saw right um you went into the details on how the the biomass gets gets entered into the biomass plant we don't have to go into into detail how then the turbine spins and produces electricity i think everybody sort of has a base case understanding of that let's go into the mine a bit more specifically um first of all where do you get your miners um and why are you choosing the models you're choosing yeah so from our perspective we actually had i've spoken quite a lot with with the guys at luxor and, and they've been very good in terms of from our perspective of, of sourcing miners up until this point you know we had looked at a lot of different places for for sourcing them and, and generally at the moment anyway we we go to luxor i you know know a lot of the guys there and they're, they're really really great guys so we, we focus on on going through them as a, a first protocol anyway in, in terms of bringing in miners um and what was the second question again <laughs> you're why why you do you just use the miners that they okay. that they sort of have available or are you choosing specific models for reasons no yeah so so generally from my perspective i would be you know there's two things that you have to consider which is you know one is the roi on the miner um, and it's something that's been talked about quite a lot in the industry which is for some of the newer miners the xps and so on the rois just didn't quite stack up in terms of the you know how much they were per terahash versus what you're going to get back over the next 12 months so you know, a lot of people were discussing about waiting for that ROI to come down, which is, you know, for efficiency wise, the slightly older models just made a bit more sense. So that's kind of the first thing, which is always looking at what your return on investment is going to be on your machine. And if the extra few dollars per terahash actually even makes sense for the newer machine, you know, there's no real point in buying a newer machine just because it's the newer machine. Um, but also on top of that, aside from, you know, an ROI and dollar per terahash, you know, standpoint, I'm quite conservative i suppose from my own perspective and, and you know we are at scaling in terms of buying new machines which is we've used a lot of you know 100 terahash and 104 terahash s19j pros over the past number of months and we've been very very happy with them and how they've performed and you know their overall resilience and uptime and so on um, and we would just be kind of you know we would feel a lot better to just allow a few months of, of people running the the xps and so on before we dive in and, and start you know see you know seeing for ourselves how they perform and you know that's not just from a you know if a, a new xp is rated 140 terahashes does it actually produce that what i'm more looking at is is people's feedback on you know how many of of a batch arrive you know in good condition you know how many actually all switch on because there are a lot of stories of people buying large batches of miners and, you know, X percent of them not being able to, to start up literally from fresh out of the box. And so a lot of these these different things is that something that we I want to be personally and also from, from a skilling perspective, we want to be very careful on, which is we know that the older gener you know, ones work. We know that their ROI looks very good, but also critically, 
we're also pretty happy that they're they're quite a sturdy and, and resilient machine. And so we just kind of generally take a, a conservative viewpoint on new machines coming out. And while we might buy one, you know, we, we tend to wait, you know, quite a while before we'd be putting in any kind of large order. And in the meantime, looking at all the different experiences that you're seeing and how many of, of a given batch are actually working as, as they said they would, you know, irrespective of, of hash rate. All right. Amazing. Are you guys doing any R&D? currently maybe in your facilities to try out new miners try out different cooling methods so we aren't trying trying any new cooling methods we are bringing in a, a, just as i said earlier a couple of new machines like we generally focused on ant miner quite a lot so we're maybe thinking of, of having you know spending quite a quite a bit of time on on, on watts miners mainly just because people have you know very good experiences with with them in terms of you know their resilience to heat you know their, their switch off temps overall the, I thought that the ant miner as a as a newcomer to the industry 18 months or two years ago was the kind of go-to, but more and more people are having positive experience with Watts miners. So that's probably a machine that 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 we'll start working with just to kind of see if 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 we think it's a bit better. Um, but there's a few things that we're kind of doing R&D on, one of which is is just kind of looking at different softwares that we can implement in order to make that kind of fluctuation in, in on and up time a bit a bit more seamless for, for individuals that are operating with this intermittent model. So that's kind of one of our key focuses at the moment is trying to see if we can simplify the, the kind of fluctuations and hash rate for individuals in terms of a responsiveness to, to generation. So I think a key thing for me is when we were learning about this industry over the past two years is that everyone talks about miners being, being highly flexible. And they are, but they're only highly flexible if you have the tools to actually do it. And that's just not a tool that we need as a miner that has a container or a, or a facility, what you're going to need if you start getting more and more small mining installations on a number of factories is, is a seamless way for a normal person that, yes, they understand how to switch on their machine on and off by hand. They get all the slides we sent them on mining, but how do they get their miner to interact with the solar on their site or the turbine that's on their site? And that's you know a very key kind of R&D process that, that we're, we're going through at the moment is it's just trying to find that missing link for people um, so that they can have that kind of seamless and interaction and harmonious interaction with generation and, and hash rate, essentially. So that's kind of a, a key focus for us at the moment as well. On that note, are you exper uh, experimenting with brains at all? Seeing we've we've looked at brains quite a bit. Yeah, we, we've looked at a, a variety of different things. You know, I spent a bit of time looking at brains. I've obviously chatted to, to Guzman and a couple of guys at, at Luxor. We're probably going to do something with, with their firmware at something in time as well. And obviously, you know, we've, we've used Foreman a lot as well in terms of, of, you know, mind management and machines. And so what we're trying to do now is, is see where what fits best and where what we can do from our own R&D and our own understanding of software, where, where we can kind of come in and, and implement any existing solution or whether we need to do something ourselves. You know, that's, that's a key thing is what do we need to bolt on? What do we need to add on from a software perspective mm. in order to make this kind of as seamless and as user-friendly as possible? So we're looking at all the different integrations that are available. And what we want to get is is probably just an, a nice middle ground between, you know, it's not a case of auto-tuning or overclocking. It's just offering people a kind of seamless solution to scaling up and down consumption that doesn't involve turning off and on an isolator switch by hand or hopping onto, you know, or, you know, hopping onto a machine with their own laptop and their own connection. You know, it needs to be something yeah. that's very, very simple and very, very seamless. 
I'm pretty sure that you should you should speak to the guys at Gridlist, right? Because they they have exactly that yeah. that use case where they now supply a mini grid, right? And the demand ramps up and down, and they sort of need to yeah. drive along that generation curve, depending on how much demand there is below that. Um, and they yeah. have software that that helps them scale the whole mine up and down, right? They sort of turn off mm -hmm. the least efficient machines first. And then sort of yeah. try to 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 align their complete power draw, the total power draw mm -hmm. to to what's available. What what is the size of the the mine that you have there? I, I wasn't sure whether that was mentioned in the video. In 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 on Tom's site, is it the, yeah. the the one that we have? That's 120 kilowatts. So there's there's 35 machines um, inside that container hashing away at the moment. There is actually space within that unit. Um, so only half of the rack inside there, or half of the shelving is full. Um, so there's actually an optionality, which is if there was ever a case yeah. of, of more electricity being made available for any given reason, which is increased feedstocks, or if you know grid capacity was was to change, or maybe even couple of years and months down the line if on-grid prices are, are negligible tom you know might want to turn that into a demand side unit and actually have it constantly interacting with the grid and um, there's space for another 33 machines in there if, if he wants to add it so about okay. another 120 so that would be kind of a, a 250 when it's full and so i'd be interesting in the i'd be interested in the break even of the machine can you give us a range of um the price per kilowatt hour that you do pay tom Uh, so this is actually, believe it or not, it's 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 Tom's essentially closed unit. Now we tie in a bit, but that's actually a unit that's being operated and and run by 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 Tom's business on the yeah. on the biogas side itself. So that's almost a you know a very very close interaction and a closed system. So there's no real kind of kilowatt hour rate going back and forth. And um, we just kind of tie in in order to keep it going, you know, keep it keep it running and and keeping an eye on it. But okay. all in all, it's essentially is it then <laughs> is it then a Is it then a, a ref share model? Or are you getting paid a consultant fee by him to run the mine? Yeah, so we operate on a on a rev share model for the upkeep of, of that container. So you know that was something that, that we were quite keen on as well in terms of you know where we are a Bitcoin business, we want to be taking in Bitcoin on a on a monthly basis, and so that was kind of the the best way for us to do it instead of just charging a you know a euro you know per month fee. Is that you know the the amount of uptime that that Tom has is contingent on how well we do like keeping yeah. the machines going, and then you know we get more Bitcoin as a result of that as well. And this is again, I love that. I could speak to you for for many more hours. I think um, this is again where this whole education piece comes in. Right, because now, yeah. if you do want to do a rev share model, you need to educate um, your partners on the benefits of Bitcoin and why they should be doing that. You know, mm -hmm. because most energy producers, yeah. they have their bills, they don't have time. Right, all they want is to sell their excess power, um, and do that yeah. in the easiest way initially possible for them by just having a PPA with you and say, "Hey, look, give me yeah. two cents per kilowatt hour. That's more yeah. than zero. Um, And so I'll take that. Thank you very much. So again, the mm -hmm. education piece comes in where you can show people, look, this is what Bitcoin is all about. You know, maybe maybe we, we do a ref share model or whatever. So brilliant. Okay. Instant. Yeah. Exciting. I think it's, it's worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning as well, you know, Jesse there, which is that's a really, really critical point, I think, for, for mining as an overall idea across Ireland, the UK and Central Europe, just focusing on there for now, which is. I've done a lot of, you know, a lot of financial modeling for individuals and kind of one of the things that's, you know, a hurdle that I would think is worth mentioning for us over here is that there's some instances whereby, you know, having both sides involved almost kind of spoils the economics for both, you know, for everyone, which is 
there's a lot of instances where I kind of say to people, look, if, if you do this yourself, you know, it'll be so much more meaningful for you because if we have to take a, a you know, a kilowatt rate and it's intermittent and you have to switch it on and off and then we have to make sure that we're, you know, not paying too much or not paying too little, it'll be much, much easier if, if you actually operated this as your own mining system. But they kind of say to me, oh, you know, I don't know about the risk of it and it's Bitcoin, I don't really want to be a miner. I'm kind of saying, well, look, it doesn't really stack up for us because after we pay the kilowatt rate and when I, you know, factor in the uptime that your intermittent source has, what, what by having both of us in this, in this mix here, we're actually just ruining the project for both sides. Whereas if you owned it as your own system and you allowed the mining to interact with your own system, it'd be a really, really nice closed system for yourself. And they're kind of, they just basically say, oh, well, look, it doesn't really fit our, you know, our risk trading profile. I don't know. There's a few guys on the board here of this energy company or whoever it might be, or the factory that says, you know, we, we don't want to be miners. And so they kind of just leave the opportunity go. And so as, as you kind of go back to, to education, there's so many people that I've spoken to that are, you know, very, very close. And I'm kind of just almost trying to scream out, especially at the moment, because the price of machines are so cheap that this is a perfect opportunity for you to get mining. You know, you probably won't get a better one for a long, long time after this kind of low period of, of mining, you know, cost, capex, startup cost, whatever you want to call it, stays at this level. You know, this if you're going to want to trial it, or you're going to want to do it, now is the time to do it. And they say, oh, no, the kind of key thing is we'll think about it, which basically means that they can see that it all stacks up for them. They're just very hesitant about Bitcoin and mining as an overall idea. You know, I think some of them worry that mining is going to disappear in the morning or Bitcoin's going to disappear in the morning. And so they say, no, no, I won't do it. But what my biggest worry is all these guys that I've talked to will see Bitcoin, you know, appreciate in price over the next 12 to 18 months. And they'll come back to me and say, actually, no, we'll do it. And I'm going to say, well, machines are, are now four times what they were. And they'll say, oh, well, that's a terrible deal. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go, well, look, I really wish you had done it 12 months ago. So education, as you said, is just so critically important because when you run the economics on intermittent mining, a lot of the time it's better for these guys to just do it themselves. But in order for that to happen, they need to get Bitcoin and they need to get mining. And so, again, going back to our goals here, it's just about normalizing the idea so that they just see it as buying a battery or buying a fan or buying whatever it is that they already do. Mm. And they just slot it mining like it's anything else. And then, you know, hopefully you'll have distributed mining all over Europe and it'll be recognized as something that's the norm, essentially. Do you think that a market for hash rate could change that? Right. So let's say you change your communications and instead of saying you guys are now mining Bitcoin, oh, I don't want to be a miner, you produce hash rate and that hash mm -hmm. rate you can t sell on a market against US dollars, euros, whatever you want to somebody else that then can do with that hash rate, whatever they want, but essentially become a producer of computing power. Does that change? Yeah, something? See, like It could, it definitely could help with, as, as you said, repackaging the overall idea to people, which is removing the kind of step in the chain at which they're exposed to Bitcoin, which is one thing I do say that, that people, uh, you'd, you'd be surprised, don't even know, is I can say to them, look, I can schedule your, your payouts from the pool at the end of every week. You know, your exposure to, to Bitcoin, in quotes, is might only be a week before you convert it into euros or pounds or dollars, whatever you want. And that does sometimes sway people a small which is they say, oh, I didn't realize that Bitcoin was a highly liquid 24-7 market. I did. And the most liquid. They kind of say, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of say, well, I didn't realize that that I could have euros in my account, in my normal bank account, maybe two days after I, I it leaves the, or the machines actually produce hash rate and so on. So it, that does help in, in moving them in the right direction. I think in some instances, the, the education standpoint here here is just, is so far behind that some things, some questions are just, they're not even about revenue. They're not even about converting hash rate to, to, to euros. It's more just, how do I know that Bitcoin isn't like FTX? You know, <laughs> that in yeah, some instances, no, I get you. That's, yeah. that's quite how far, far back we are, which is, you know, I'm going to buy uh, two miners and they're this amount and then I'm going to buy a box. But what happens if all of this just disappears next yeah, week? Mark, you know, that's, listen, that's kind of a key question. Hit pieces by the New York Times do not help that. They don't help <laughs> that at all. Because that's, them, yeah. Right? So, yeah, but, but that, I was just thinking that must be a magical moment, right? You have this mine. It starts doing something that you, is completely new to you. All of a sudden, you have this digital asset in your wallet. You're sending it to an exchange, selling it, and then you have like revenue from it. For what? For mm -hmm. for expanding energy that you you know it must be a magical moment. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. So so getting towards getting towards the end here, Mark. How how does it scale? Right. You will probably focus on um, RevShare modeling. Now, let's say you had a hundred of these hundred twenty kilowatt hour. Um, plants. How how does that scale? Economies of scale are extremely important in Bitcoin mining, right? If you increase your energy consumption, that increases your revenue almost linearly, um, while keeping other uh, operational costs down. How how does that scale for you guys? What's the what's the vision there? Yeah. So I've, from our perspective, I think it's 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 now just from our learnings of the past twelve months. It's kind of a, a two pronged approach, which is. Reaching out to quite specific examples whereby we can be the we can be the miner in that instance, which is looking for you know more and more stranded capacity, trying to solve this issue of, of on-grid capacity across Central Europe, across Ireland and the UK, and, and focusing on us as skilling being a miner and getting hash rate under management of our own, and looking at and spending quite a lot of time, which we already have done, on how we can scale that model efficiently and, and get the best kind of ROI on our machines while getting the best uptime in, in, in an industry and in an area where on-grid pricing is quite high. Um, so that's kind of the, our first approach, which is identifying quite large-scale operators that are experiencing this issue of, of grid capacity or, or stranded energy and saying, look, we can bring us along a solution. And the second one then is selling units and, and educating people as much as we can, as you said, for the different instances where I run the numbers and kind of too many cooks you know, spoil the broth, essentially, which is getting as many containers out there, getting hash rate across Europe for both small scale operators of two to 12 machines versus large scales, you know, solar operators, for example, that in their specific instance, they should just be a miner of their own, maybe with some secondhand machines and some lower uptime um, where their core goal is, is just improving the ROI on their energy. It's not about being the best miner in the world. And so that's generally where we're focusing our attention is on, on, a separate approach which is getting as much hash rate as skilling possibly can but also just getting hash rate up and running as an overall idea you know because i think there's a nice kind of element of the mining industry which is yes we operate in isolation as a as a competitive industry and as a singular business but america is, is flying ahead with the amount of hash rate you know the us and canada is they have you know a very big pool they have a lot of miners there as an overall share of the global hash rate Europe needs to get more mining up and running. So, you know, take skilling out of the equation there. It's whatever we can do to act as a catalyst for increased mining 
across Ireland, the UK, and and, and yeah. Central Europe is is what we what we need to do. You know, the, you know whether it's us, you know, getting running a successful business that's that's irrelevant here overall in terms of getting Hashit up and running. What what we're focusing on is just informing and educating people as much as we possibly can, so that Europe finally starts to kind of essentially put itself put itself on the overall map. Um, but we, we think we'll get there. You know, I think as a, a kind of ending on a more positive note is that a lot of people that I'm speaking to, they do really get it. You know, I can speak for Ireland at least and, and the UK to an extent, which is you talk to energy operators about this and, and their guard isn't coming up, you know, anywhere near maybe as much as people think. You know, they are looking at this very, very seriously. And the energy guys especially you explain the whole idea to them and, and they don't even ask about Bitcoin that much. They get this as an energy mechanism. You know, they just say to themselves, look, the way you've explained it about, in, you know, interruptibility, you know, frequency response, you know, demand side, flexibility, all of these things, I get it, you know, and, and I, I'm going to try to see how I can fit this in. And I think that's just a case of, of making those small steps until we catch up with the guys in, in Texas and so on, essentially. I think it's it's that But it's also that people get better speaking about it. I think that's a big piece. Like the more people understand as well and can explain it in a way where they know the the um, the, the the partner party that you're speaking to sort of understands it and sort of understanding what what they need their needs are and how Bitcoin mining can 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 uh, supply their demand essentially. Mm. I think a lot more people have become a lot better also by um, towards explaining this well. I think that plays a big role as well. I have two more questions yeah. for you, Mark. Um, the first is, how do you do your management? Do you teach um, partners of yours and sort of first level support? Or do you have engineers that, that roam Ireland for, for problems that Foreman sort of <laughs> tells you exist? Yes, yeah, so, so we still manage everything kind of as a core team. So from the electrical standpoint, you know, whenever there's kind of something that, that needs fixing that I can't do. So, you know, I can do, you know, simple enough machine repairs, you know, I can do fans, control boards, you know, what what I what we would like to get to in, in, in down here in Cork is having a actual board repair center. So obviously it's not, not too difficult to do some simple repairs, but obviously when you get into smoldering and all the kind of different parts of replacing chips and so on, it gets a lot more difficult. So we would like to get to that standpoint. At the moment, it's just kind of reaching out to our, our partners welding to do any kind of high-end electrical maintenance and, and kind of upkeep, which whether it be the container or whether it be understanding the machines themselves. Uh, and then we do all the other kind of machine-specific stuff at the moment. Uh, but as you said, it, it is a case of us as a core team at the moment, jumping in the car and, and going and helping out or, or doing it over phone. So we offer as much help as we possibly can uh, and, you know, a variety of different help, which is if, if people don't want us to call out, we'll still say to them, look for a very, very small amount of, of kind of your revenue per month. We can offer, you know, X, Y and Z support. Uh, but I think, again, it's going back to education is that people get this quite quickly themselves, which is even taking Tom's site, which is, You know, sometimes I'd have to reboot a machine every now and again. Now, Tom just walks into his container now and, and if, if he sees anything he doesn't quite understand, he just he does the isolator switch and he does it goes on and off and I'll see the alert come in and by the time the alert comes in, the machine's back up and hashing and, you know, I don't even have to text anymore to see it all as well because I can see it's, it's back up and running. So as I said earlier, you know, whether it be farmers themselves or whether it be energy guys, they're very, very hands-on individuals as it is, you know, and, and so they... They kind of, I feel like they almost want to fix it themselves. <laughs> they don't really want me getting involved. And so that's what we've seen so far. But 
as we get maybe smaller mines up, up and running, uh, we are probably going to have to expand that overall offering to just be a bit more hands-on because the more mining you get up and running, the more mix of individuals and experience that you're going to have that are actually operating the setup. And so we might have to be a bit more involved than we are for the, the current sites that we have. I love it, man. It's that early phase where you just sort of do hands-on learning, you know, before you maybe professionalize, have three... 10 whatever 15 mining sites and you professionalize everything and yeah. can't don't have the time anymore to go to each machine and and plug it in exactly, and, exactly. and fix the problem yourself um so last question before i let you go mark is the the current climate um bitcoin price hash rate growth is not very friendly to small miners coming online that's sort of trying to find their way how how does the market climate affect you guys if at all I think from our perspective, I think it doesn't affect us too much. You know, I think the because we're focusing still here, you know, at skilling on, on stranded electricity only, it removes our exposure to to that rapidly increasing hash rate. You know, every kind of, you know, economic forecast or proposal that I give to people is, is based on a certain set of projections. And obviously now the halving is essentially like 12 months today probably i'd wonder if that comes true but I, you know it's going to be very very close to, to where we are now in 12 months time and um, so it doesn't affect us too much i think probably the, the only hurdle that that i said earlier as we're experiencing is 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 the kind of double whammy situation which is very difficult mining conditions compared with you know extortionately high exportability for people that can or you know very high energy prices as an overall idea you know the kind of only sticking point that i found is that some people are getting kind of deals given to them in terms of exportability that they're just deciding to wait 12 months and do nothing, you know, if they have the option over mining. You know, I've, some people have come to me and said, look, if you reached out to me 18 months ago, I would have, you know, my, my grid connection was so far away that I definitely would have mined. But now that it's only 12 months away and when I get on board it, I'm going to get 20 cents plus, I'll probably just wait for the grid. And so, you know, I think that's probably our, you know, the biggest effect that we're seeing of the the overlap in harsh conditions is that people are now choosing to just wait and, and pick the easy option in time. Whereas when things get more competitive, which is if our energy sector sorts itself out, um, and even if mining, you know, revenue stays where it is, then you might start seeing mining become even more of a, a kind of viable boat on to some of the people on, on this side of the Atlantic, I suppose. And would mobility change that? I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> would mobility of the mining operation change that? I, I think I think it it might. Like I think what you're seeing at the moment is is being able to offer smaller solutions is is actually a very very good option for these people because they're even saying in some instances, look, you know, if I give seven kilowatts to mining, yes, I might get slightly more for those kilowatts. You know, if I can export it to the grid, you know, maybe I they can't at all. Maybe they're fully exporting to the grid, getting their feed in tariff, but they're still having tiny amounts of excess. But what we're seeing is it's a very enticing option because of how small, compact and mobile it is to just start mining. You know, it's it's just getting that initial step into the mining market is is actually quite an intriguing option for a lot of people, which is I don't want to buy a 120 kilowatt unit straight off the bat, but if I can get two machines off you, yeah, you know, they say, look, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, what what, what harm is it? That if I get mining up and running and my mining, you know, pays itself off in, in two and a half, three years, for example, because I'm using my rooftop solar and I import a tiny bit at night, at least I'm figuring out what mining is and, and getting it going. So, yeah, it, it definitely ties in because a big box is obviously a very big capital investment and it's a, a big decision to make. And it has, you know, a few more logistical hurdles to, to look at. But 
you know, two machines can be put on a rack, you know, without any kind of special compact box to put them in, or if you want them outside, you can, you know. So I think that that's definitely helping, and it, it, that's probably where we'll see a few people dipping their toe into the mining market over the next six to 12 months here in Ireland anyway, just as a starting point. Brilliant. Mark, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I could ramble on with you for hours, I think. But um, yeah, we, we've broken the hour mark. <laughs> That's sort of always my goal. Um, give people a handoff, maybe. Uh, where can they find more about Skilling, more about you, your colleagues? Yeah, so our, our website is, is skillingmining.com. My own Twitter is mark underscore morn underscore. And we're at Skilling Mining on, on Twitter as well. So any one of those three, if, if people want to reach out, my email is, is mark at skillingmining.com. If people have questions or they're trying to see how they can get started and even with a, a machine or two, then, then just read out, reach out at, at any time and feel free to, to ask me questions because, you know, as I said, any kind of mining at all in, in Europe at the moment is a step in the right direction for, for all of us, I suppose. Yeah. Last but not least, I want to extend a huge congratulations to you guys. I mean, uh, in a very short period, you've guys, you guys went from, you know, uh, altcoining to understanding what Bitcoin is and then operating a Bitcoin mine off of stranded energy, which is uh, honestly a great achievement. Um, maybe, hopefully, this piece of content will, will help people um, find you an island, find more um, stranded energy, explain what you guys do in more detail. You can send this to people, whatever. Um, so, yeah, honestly, big, big respect. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, we can speak again uh, soon. It's been a pleasure as well. Likewise, Jesse, thank you for having me on. All right, cheers, man. Bye-bye.